I wonder if you've ever noticed that in certain contexts, you're asked to name your food and drink. Some of you will know what I mean, especially if any of you frequent Starbucks. The barista will inevitably ask you, what's the name? And they proceed to scribble it in pen on the cup provided just to make sure you get what's yours. And there have been some terrible mix-up or misunderstanding. Here's one I saw recently. Whenever names were given, obviously the girl's name was Yvonne, and they write Evan. Didn't hear properly. The girl's name was Caitlin, and it was for kitten. Imagine not being sure this is for kitten. No. Or if you've ever made a telephone order for Chinese or Indian or pizza or takeaway, and haven't placed that order, you're always asked, what's the name with that? Have you ever been tempted to give some really bizarre name or someone else's name just for fun? I know one friend of mine, his surname is Yurt, spelled E-W-A-R-T. But every time he says Yurt, he ends up being Ert or Stuart or Ewart. So now he just uses his wife's maiden name, Russell, because it's far easier. I wonder in spiritual terms today, who are you? Maybe that's the general question. What's the name? You see, they ask, what's the name? And if I was asked what, you might say, oh, well, you know, I'm a church member, I'm a God-fearer, I'm a regular attender, I play a key part in Union Road, I'm a Sunday school, I might even be a committee member. But if I was to ask, no, what's your name before God today? Would you say categorically you're a child of God with a loving Father in heaven, one of Christ's followers living out and out day and daily for Jesus Christ. Are you one of God's own? That's precisely the setting for Genesis chapter 13. Because you see, for many, many years now, Lot had hidden under the name of Abram. Lot, you see, his father had died, and his father was a brother of Abram. And in those days, he had to take on the responsibility then of looking after this young nephew, Lot. So for years, Abraham looked after Lot, and Lot went under the name of, well, he's with Abram. He used the name of Abram when it was appropriate for him to use the name of Abram. So if you had asked Lot, are you in faith? Are you someone who's following? Well, I'm with Abram. Like so many in church today, they use the name of their family name. But it doesn't mean they have any relationship with God. As we come to the moment of crisis in the life of this family, we get to see what his heart is like and where allegiances really lie. Lot's with Abraham. Abram's a man of faith, but Lot is very far from God. We're going to see it very briefly in a couple of circumstances here. First of all, the situation that causes separation. That's right at the start of the passage. It always amazes me that even though we try and get into the culture and understand the history of these times, even though it's different languages and settings, hearts don't really change. The hearts of these people are very similar to the hearts that we have here today. Very similar to our own. Abraham had just faced a big problem, hadn't he? He had faced a famine. He had so little. But now he faces an even more difficult problem. He's got too much. That's an even bigger problem than having too little. Let's see how that's reflected in the chapter. First of all, in verse 2, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. Then verses 5 to 7. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great 
that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdmen and Lot. The Canaanites and Peridites were also in the land at that time. He was very rich, and that was the problem. Now, as I've said before, some of my closest friends are from North Antrim, and they love this word, serious. You ever notice that? There are some serious crowds at the Port and Bank Holiday Monday, they'll tell me. Or you get a serious feed of chips in that place. Or that's a serious amount of ice cream that wee woman was shoving in there. Bake at the minute, isn't it? You know, a serious amount. In this instance, there was a serious famine. But now Abraham had a serious amount of livestock. Both lead to testing. One test was the lack of resources, but now the big test is the guy's got too much. Abram sees the problem. Look at verse 6. There wasn't enough pasture land for both Abraham's flock and Lot's flock. The herdsmen were, you can imagine, they were shaking their crooks at each other when Lot's sheep were straying into Abraham's camel patch. And then to add to the trouble, look at verse 7. The Perizzites and the Canaanites are still there. They haven't got rid of these boys who were going to cause them trouble. So what's Abram going to do? Well, our true character shows not through in a crisis. I would say today our true characters shine through whenever we've got much. Abram turns around to Lot and says, there you go, son, take your pick. Take anything you want and off you go. Abraham doesn't grasp and keep it to himself. He's generous. He says, take what you need. Settle wherever you want. God had already promised Abram this land. Abram was content in his heart. The real word and true word of God had settled deep in his heart. And he didn't need to go looking for it. It was going to be his. So that's why he's content to say, well, Lot, you just get on with it. You take whatever you want. Being prosperous and gaining wealth and reputation and land and homes and money and promotion is a dangerous place for any of us to be. For it's there we show our true hearts. It's when we have much, what we have and what we do with what we have reveals the kind of people we are and the priorities that we have. How are we in relation to God, not when things are going badly, but when things are going well? That's the bigger crisis. We like to hear people praying for us or our loved ones when we're sick or sad or sorrowing, but maybe we need to pray more for the people who are doing well for whom life is a breeze and money's not an issue, where family life is a dream and kids are scoring A stars all around and glittering glittering careers awake. Because you see, if you lack nothing, if you can go to a home and in the space of two minutes can order anything you like online with three clicks of a button, we're in danger. We're in big danger. Why? Because so very easy we become reliant on what we have and what we get instead of who we are and we've forgotten our true identity. Material things are not what matters. Human success is not the story that will outlast the years. Our serious amount of stuff at home, our success at work or school, will cause serious amounts of spiritual problems in our hearts. If you've got loads today, you're in bigger trouble than those of us who've got little. We might have everything, but we're in bigger danger of losing our souls. Abram passed this test and he was generous. He gave, he didn't hoard. In his prosperity and success, he was a blessing to others. He was a man of faith and he had a manner of faith. And he was content to let go.
because he was happy to rest in what God had promised and what God would provide. And so he says to Lot, take your pick. Second thing we notice, the sights that define the separation. The sights that define the separation. As a peace-loving man, Abram wanted to settle a dispute between these herdsmen. Separation was the only answer. And Abram gave Lot the choice as to where his future would lie. And look at verse 10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. It was beautiful. And as Lot responded to Abram's generous offer, it was a no-brainer, wasn't it? The beautifully watered Jordan Valley that lay out in front of him, where, why would he choose to live anywhere else? Look how it's described again in verse 10. It's very important to notice it. It's like Eden, like the garden of the Lord, and it's compared with Egypt. Those are references that should startle us. Because the Garden of Eden, the Garden of the Lord, was indeed beautiful, but it was also the place where the forbidden fruit was that brought mankind's downfall into sin. Like the fruit on the tree in Eden, the land of Sodom was beautiful to look at. It was pleasing to the eye. It was tantalizingly beautiful. It would have drawn any of us in. And comparing the Jordan Valley to a place like Egypt reminds us how much Abraham's sinful journey down to Egypt in chapter 12 has impacted on Lot. Because it was there he saw how beautiful things could be. It didn't put Lot off. It drew Lot in. He had been captivated by all that it had to offer. A place of plenty, good food, best education, classiest things. He wanted his family to prosper. Lot thought this was the ideal location to settle his family. But look what happens in verses 12 and 13. Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You see, Lot's choice led him in what he perceived was paradise, but within two chapters, he's on the edge of hell itself. We might think we're doing the best for our children by moving them to a certain place, settling them into the best school, introducing them to top coaches or finest artists, urging them to seek employment in the top professions. But why? What's the eternal aim? What good is it if our kids, our families achieve the earth, make a mint, conquer Everest, but lose their souls? Abram must have regretted his foray into Egypt that exposed Lot to such things. Let me say to parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and even older brothers and sisters here today, be warned what you do and how you live. The things you expose our children and the whole of the congregation to, how will that impact the spiritual growth of the next generation? If you'd ask Lot would you prefer heaven or hell? He'd have definitely said heaven. But I think if you asked him heaven or earth, he probably would have said earth. You see, he walked by sight. Abraham walked by faith. Lot did not appreciate what motivated his uncle. And so the separation takes place. Lot heads east, but it was not so very long before the shining lights of Sodom became a blazing furnace of God's wrath. Be very careful. Abram's decision was made in 3D. It included God. Lot's decision was made in 2D. It was just all about what he could see here on earth. And there are too many people sitting on Union Road today, and it's all about what they've got. Not the God of all. 
the toys and games and music and dance classes and cups and trophies and rugby playing or football coaching, shopping and makeup, cars and gardens are all good, but are not the most important things. God is. We are in danger of losing the next generation of children and young people whom we have spoiled, buying them anything they wanted in case they stopped filling their heads with this silly notion that they are the most special things in the world and we are selling them off to the ideas of Eden, Egypt and Sodom. If we do not lead and reflect the mindset of God gives, we share, he is worship and his commands come first. I mean, who needs God if mum or dad gives you everything you need when you ask for it? You need God. What room is there in life for faith when we see and we want and we get? Our choices define what we love. I think we've become what you might call champion Christians. We're all pop and froth and bubble and excitement and we love big things and we love all the thrill of that, but there's no nutritional value, no long-lasting impact, no eternal good. What eternal value are we putting into our church and our children who come after us? Charles Swindle leaves this point with three very challenging points that I don't have time to go into. Always look beyond the immediate benefits. Never underestimate the impact on the family and forget about pleasing yourself. Third and final thing today. The speech that reassured Abram in the separation. Let's look at verses 14 to 18. We're going to read these now. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are to the north and south to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust and your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents there he built an altar to the Lord. You see, Abram had learned something from his Egyptian escapade. He had not forced his hand and claimed the land for himself. He was content to wait on the promises that God would make good. He'd shown a rich generosity to Lot in a fuller, richer statement now from God. God promises even more than what was promised in chapter 12. And you see what the Lord says? Lift your eyes up, Abram. Look. Take a good, long, hard look. Everything you see, verse 15, all the land... I will give you forever. That's quite a promise. All the land I will give you forever. God says, look up by faith through my generosity and my timing. All of this will be yours. The sheer height and length and breadth and depth of his promise is absolutely staggering today. Abram can see these cities and houses and settlements and rivers and plains and mountains and smoke rising in all four corners. Thousands of people out there. God says, this is for you and for your descendants. Descendants who one day will be so numerous, they'll be like the dust. Now, I'm not going to ask you to suggest how many particles of dust you think are gathered to your sideboard at the minute around your TV. That'll be very rude. Sometimes I see it. I'm only joking. Now, you're all panicking now. <laughs> Often unseen, but whenever you move and it catches the light, you see it really clearly. And whenever you see it clearly, there's not just one. There's hundreds and thousands. And God is promising Abram, you're going to have a family so big, as numerous as these particles of dust. 
leaving this man speechless, gaping into the distance. Abram has done nothing special. In fact, not so long ago, he was worshiping the moon god. Then he gets waylaid, he heads off to Egypt. He doubts God, but now God is blessing him. He can't compute that. God is pretty persistent. He is saying, Abram, I am going to bless you. I am going to bless you. You can botch up all you like. I am going to bless you. You can make a complete mess of things. I am going to bless you. You can let me down any number of times. I am going to bless you. Abram looks up and the scope of his future is so much wider and more glorious and eternal than we could ever imagine. And God's instruction in verse 17, go walk the land. Walk it. Experience it for yourself, Abram. Enjoy it. When I was growing up, our nearest supermarket was called Supermac. It's situated where Forestside Shopping Centre is now in South Belfast and near Newton Breda. And there, there were two very exciting things about Supermac when I was growing up. First of all, it opened late on a Friday night. Now, in the 1970s and 80s in Belfast, that's a big thing. It opened at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. And if I got to go shopping, I got to stay up late. So that's one good thing about Supermac. But the second thing was... On a Friday night, there were loads of samples of new food. On every single aisle, there was a woman with a wee cap on, and she was offering you free samples of crackers and biscuits and cheese. What an absolute treat. You got to sniff them. You got to eat them. And if you took your jumper off and way around, you'd think you hadn't been before, and you got even more. And if it was really nice, you might even be able to persuade mum to buy you some of those samples from the real packets. Here, right in the heart of Genesis 13, it's as if God is the great land sampler to Abram. He says, walk around it, Abram. Take it all in. This is yours. Get a huge whiff of all that's going to be yours forever. Sniff it. Sample it. Take it in. I've bought it for you. You pay nothing at all. All this land, all these valleys, all these rivers, all these fields, all this soil, it's yours. And you can do nothing to lose it, Abram. It's yours. Wow. God's grace is even bolder, longer, wider, higher than we can ever imagine. For this isn't simply an Old Testament example, but Jesus says something almost identical. In my Father's house are many. And people for years have shown how to translate it. Mansions isn't even the best word. It should be palaces. In my Father's house are the most grand, wide, high, deep places that you will enjoy forever. And I'm going there to prepare it for you. For you. And you can do nothing to lose it. Because my grace is greater than your faithlessness. My grace is so big. And he wants us to get a huge whiff of that new heaven and that new earth today. So that that will enable us whenever things are difficult or when things are going well. That we can walk by faith and we don't need to walk by sight. Whether we've got loads of money or no money at all. We look and we know that we've got a palace, a place, an eternity in that new heaven and that new earth. Get a whiff of that this morning, people of God. Be encouraged by the huge, monumental, 
unending grace that God bestows upon his people. Lot got all he wanted, but he got it here anyway. Abram did not have what he was promised, but he would get it then. And it's the same with us, because we walk in the not yet land now. We walk this world knowing that whether in wealth or without, in danger or in famine, in sickness or in health, laughed at or ignored by anyone else, it's all right. Because we've got this huge land that we're going to. God became an increasing reality to Abram. Faith is not blind. Faith is seeing things as God sees them. He's the only one that really matters. As you know, I've been struggling with this eye condition over these last few months, and as a result, I've been taking some eye drops pretty regularly. And I know some of you take drops like that too. Drops, when they hit my pupil, they're really sore. They sting like crazy. And then my eye glow goes blurred. And in the next few minutes, I lose a sense of depth and perception in that eye. But those drops, painful and all as they are, after a few minutes, enable me to see things more clearly again. We will all go through challenging times, and each new episode may challenge our faith in a new way, but when we put in the eye drops, as it were, of the medicine of God's word and his promises, and let them sit on our spiritual eyes, even for a moment, the pain of that circumstance might still be there. But in a few moments, we get to see things as they really are. Crisis times when we have lots or when we have little, challenges our faith. And if we walk with God, or will we head the way of Lot? Faith is stepping out where God wants us to go. It's responding in a way that God asks us to follow. The world will think we're daft, but that's all right, because we see something that they can't. Yes, even disheartened believers here today can cling on to these words that one day as princes and princesses in his kingdom, he says, it's all yours. It's all yours. It's all prepared for you. For now, distrust appearances and hold on to God's promises. Distrust appearances and hold on to God's promises because he's the only one that sees things as they really are.